How's about we write some more stories? How's about we tell some more tales? Gather round the fire, maybe read for just a while, and we'll listen to the stories unveiled. Oh, we'll see if we succeeded writing stories no one needed from suggestions that you shared. Hello, and welcome back to the campfire. I am your host, Colby McHugh, and this is, of course, the S'more Stories podcast, where we show and tell stories in the tradition and branding of campfire tales, all in the ever-important quest to figure out what makes a good story. Now, I've made it no secret on this podcast that in 2023, one of my goals, yes, I'm in my 30s and just now figuring out how to make goals, was not only to play more Dungeons & Dragons, but also to talk about it more because there's just so much there, whether it's world building, creating memorable characters, improv, and I want to figure out how I can use all that stuff to learn how to become a better writer and also become a better storyteller in general, which means... I am so incredibly excited by this episode's guest, someone who is not only a game master in the world of tabletop RPGs, which I can't wait to pester you about, but also someone who comes from a background that is new to the S'more Stories podcast, which is, of course, the theater. Ah, the, yes, the theater, coming to you direct from the boards. So thank you so much for being here, for joining me around the campfire. Welcome, Alejandro Tay. Hello. Hey, oh man, I'm so I'm so glad that you asked me to be here. Colby, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. You're 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 welcome. And thank you again uh, for being here as well. And and so, like I said, you come from a very unique background. Um and, and we've had people on this episode or on this podcast in the past who uh have DM'd, have dabbled in a little bit of playing uh tabletop RPGs. But you, sir. I think are maybe an expert in the field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so, and, and combining that with, like we said, the theater, <laughs> I think there's so much storytelling packed in between those two different things oh, that yeah. I'm so curious to to hear about kind of how those blend together, how they're separate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, for, for me, it, it starts, it starts with theater and and heads into RPGs. And it took me way too long, honestly, way too long to get into RPGs. I should have been playing RPGs my whole life because I've always been doing theater. So I've I've been on stage acting and, and directing even at a very, very young age. I started in, you know, a little summer parks and rec program at five years old. Uh, and I remember starting directing when uh, in like elementary or middle school, maybe um, our director vanished. It was the weirdest thing. It was so shady. We had a director for our one act play festival in Texas. It's a big deal. You have competition plays um and in middle school we had our middle school one act play and we got to the to to competition we did all right it was fine um and then we were supposed to have a public performance and the director vanished just disappeared we to this day we have no idea what happened was was he on the run is is he 
you know, uh, from another universe and just winked out like what's going on. But, uh, but he disappeared. And I was like, this is my favorite thing, like way better than school, way better than anything else I'm doing. Like I live for doing these plays. Um, I'm going to make sure it happens. So it was like, all we needed was, um, a, a adult an adult to supervise so I got my grandfather, I wrote my grandfather into it, like my best friend. Uh, and he just like sat there and I directed <laughs> and like made sure that we were like up to snuff for a public performance, which is very, very silly. But goes to show like that, that part of it runs deep. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I was coming up and I was uh, getting more and more invested and interested in the kind of theater that I want to see and create and experience it kept going down this route of immersive and participatory theater. The idea that, you know, in, in a traditional theater piece, musical, what have you, you're going to show up, you're going to sit in your seat, you're going to watch a play. Maybe you might laugh during it. You might clap at different parts. Big musical number finishes, you clap. The end, you know, people take a bow. Maybe you get up from your seat, give them a standing ovation. That's it. That's all you got. And I was getting a little, um, a, a little tired of that being the only interaction with the audience. You know, uh, I was drawn towards those moments of soliloquy or direct address where you get to talk to the audience directly, and wondering how 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 can we push that further? How can I do more than just like speak a speech to my audience? Um, and so. Mostly in college, I started playing around with with some friends who were in, in. Also, I should say, like all of this stuff has been invented way before me. I didn't invent any of this. Uh, but uh, me and my friends started playing around with different modes where you know we got the audience up and moving, or playing with us, or taking part in some ways. We had we had a, a, a we created an adaptation of Treasure Island that had the audience like pelting pirates with water balloons as they assaulted the encampment, you know, little things like that. Uh, and, and as I kept going further and further down that vein and, you know, learning from professors who, who were actively doing some of that work, um, I found myself wondering, okay, how can I transition an audience from the role of, you know, this, this passive observer not like past active participant to protagonist hero of the story that they are experiencing. Well, lo and behold, there is an artistic medium that is designed to do exactly that. And that is role-playing games. So my, uh, my dear friend Rose Lemon was my first game master and she ran us through a game called Fiasco. It's a game by Jason Morningstar that uh, is designed to help you and your friends uh, create a Coen Brothers movie in about as much time as it takes to watch one. So it's GM-less, no prep. You just sit down and like improv with your friends. Actually, for you, like if you're looking to to like beef up your improv skills, like check out Fiasco. That was my first role playing game, and I was like hooked. I was like, oh, this is this is the juice right here. Um, so you know, cut to several years later, I'm I'm uh, 
creating my own uh, theater RPG hybrid experiences. I'm uh, in the pandemic. I'm like running games online for strangers across the internet through Tabletale Games. Uh, and now I'm the associate artistic director at Mixed Blood Theater, um, which is a theater focused on social justice. But we have we're, we're now um, continuing experiments that the theater has already had in terms of uh, participatory and immersive performance. And they kind of saw that that was, that was my brand and uh, roped me in to, to help further that. So that's a long way of saying, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> I do like these things very much. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool hearing, like you start with one thing and I'm curious what <clears throat> specifically about the stage and, and theater, what even at, at such a young age drew you to that world? Because, you know, as kids, there's so many different options. You can go yeah. sports, you can go books, you can go uh, like video games. But what like what drew you to to want to perform, want to be in front of I, people? I think it was it, it's always been about a specific way of communicating, of expressing. I mean, I think that's that's why people are drawn to art more broadly is there's always this desire to express in a specific way, a specific thing. And for me, there was something about the relationship with an audience, the relationship of having something prepared, something rehearsed, something, an experience or a structure or a form, uh, and then presenting that to... Um, to an audience, to a group of folks who who don't necessarily who might know a little bit about what they're getting into, but are in a space of being able to be surprised, of being able to have their expectations subverted. Uh, and I think that's the through line with all of my interest in theater and in RPGs, because that's what you're doing when you sit down at a table to play an RPG with friends, right? It's like you've all signed on, you know what game you're gonna play, but you have no idea how it's gonna go. Even the GM, you know, the GM might have their notes. They might have, you know, their their plan. Uh, but anyone who's GM knows that goes out the window pretty quick. And you learn, you discover the story by playing. And I think that's what interests me. It's like discovering the story together by playing. And it's and it's so collaborative as well. Like it's not just the DM. Like you're getting stories from every player as well, and kind of incorporating yes. that into the entire world. And so, sure, as a as a GM, as a DM, you can have whatever world that you've created, all the backstory and lore that you could ever want. But then your players are also influencing that world with their own stories, and so it's all kind yeah. of push and pull, give and take, and. Yeah, and different, and in different RPGs, more so and less so too. You know, like, uh, um, have you played things beyond Dungeons and Dragons? So that was actually one of the questions that I was very excited to ask you because I was a little bit later coming to D and D, probably like five or six years ago um, for the first time, and so that's kind of been mostly my experience with RPGs. I've played a little bit of a game called Monster of the Week. <gasps> so good, which is incredibly fun, and I definitely want to get more back into that at some point, but. I really don't have that much experience and there are so many cool seeming RPGs out there in the world on the yes. internet. And so I wanted to kind of get your expertise, your recommendations on any ones that myself or our listeners could check out because there's so many different levels of complexity, mechanics, yes. easy to play, more hard to play, you know, and so... Let's let's hear some from you that that you might oh, enjoy. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so again, I'm coming at it 
as as a theater nerd. Uh, so I'm always going to be more invested in the role play side of it, uh, more so than any kind of combat or any kind of, um, you know, crunchy mechanical system or, or anything like that. Um, but I mean, I, I still find value in those things, but it's always in service of story, in service of narrative. I'm less interested in the um, game for games sake. Like I, I know there are folks who get a lot of enjoyment playing D and D as essentially a board game. And that's awesome. That's great. That's just not, that's not what I'm in it for. Um, so, so the things that I really like, like I said, fiasco is a great one. I think Jason Morningstar in general, his games always have this this sort of like cinematic narrative quality that I love and a freeness to just play around within the structure that I really like. Um, he also has a, a game called Night Witches, which is about a very specific historical um, thing. It's, it's these... Um, these bombers, these aviators, all female aviator squadron um, from Russia in World War II, who were, you know, kind of fighting a war on two fronts because, you know, they were during the day, they were like dealing with misogyny and with, uh, uh, you know, homophobia and things from their superiors. Um, and they were given horrible, horrible, like ancient planes that were falling apart. And then at night, they're using those horrible ancient planes to like just kill Nazis. <laughs> it was rad as hell. Um, so you, so he created this structure where you can like play as uh, as the night witches. Um, so those are some cool games. The Apocalypse World series I really like, which I think Monster of the Week is based on. Maybe, I think it's the same the wrong. same kind of system. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of uh, powered by the Apocalypse systems. All those ones are really good. I'm I'm particularly fond of Thirsty Sword Lesbians. So this is my pitch for Thirsty Sword Lesbians. In most RPGs, if you want to say do a backflip off of a car and use your sword to cut it in half. That might be three different roles. It might be, you know, like here's one to like do the, here's an acrobatics role to like figure out if you can do hit the backflip and then you make an attack with your sword and then, you know, all of this stuff. In Thirsty Sword Lesbians, you can just do that. That's you're just a badass. You you can just do that. That's fine. You don't need to roll for that. You just say you did it and you do it. The thing you roll for is did you impress your crush who was watching from the cafe across the street when you did that? Because that's what you're really in it for. <laughs> so it's kind of really focused on relationships and all of the mechanics are about the the strings that you have on people. This is lovely, lovely game. Thirsty Sword Lesbians sounds incredible. I I absolutely must play that. Um, if only because I love doing backflips in in game form um and then and then fiasco sounds ideal as somebody who truly loves coen brothers movies um like myself so the idea of getting to play in one seems uh incredibly fun it is definitely it will definitely test your improv skills too because it really is just a light improv structure that there there is very little game <laughs> to the the basic mechanic of it that are, this i really love you're, you're not really rolling dice hardly ever there are there are some dice but um effectively you are in a series of scenes and when it's your turn to start a scene you can either say "Ooh, 
I have a really good idea for a scene between my character and -and so-and-so and -and so-and-so. I'm going to start it this way. But if you do that, then the rest of the table gets to decide if that scene ends well or badly for your character. Or vice versa. You can say, I don't really know where this starts, so put me through the ringer, y'all. Like, you tell me what this scene is about. Like, start us off, but then I'll decide how it ends. Uh, And it kind of goes like that through, you know, a a series of misadventures of people with true, True collaborative storytelling, when people can be like, I'm not gonna let you do this. Yes. <laughs> or like, that's a sick idea. I want you to be able to do what you want to do. <laughs> like that, you get to have all the, all of the above with something like that. Um, and with with all these games, obviously, you mentioned you love being a GM, a, a DM. Do sometimes you you miss being a player, or do you really enjoy that that level of kind of control, or uh, or or mostly the maybe sometimes the chaotic stuff that comes with the nature of being a, a game master <laughs> that comes with that. You know, it it definitely depends on the system. So I've I've been playing in a campaign of Lancer, uh, which is a game about. Um, tactical mech combat, and it's it's very crunchy. Uh, there, it's it's very much like positions and how are we going to use our resources in this battle and blah 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 blah. And then there's also some like light downtime fun stuff that's kind of based on Blades in the Dark. Another great system to check out if you've never checked out Blades in the Dark. Really good narrative heisting in a land of ghosts and grim fantasy. Um, but Sorry, back to Lancer. Uh, so Lancer is uh, a game that keeps me very occupied, probably because I don't really know the system as well as I should <laughs> for as much as I've played it recently. Um, but the role-playing stuff, that's easy. I can do that all day. And then the the tactics of it, really do i think you know in in movies and tv and plays um when a fight breaks out if it's if it's well written the fight is also advancing narrative right it it has to it must uh it has to drive plot forward it has to drive character forward we're seeing the highest stakes possible so you're really seeing you're seeing what decisions characters make when their backs are up against the wall. Um, and I think Lancer does a really, really good job of that. But this is a really, really long way of saying um, I tend to, as a player, get maybe a little bored with all of the downtime because I'm so used to, as a GM, everything's firing on all cylinders. You, there's never a break. You are just going, going, going. You're in this like crazy flow state um, that is is good for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I get the same thing with Lancer because I'm playing in a group where everyone is really kind of like a solid master of the system and I'm not. So I'm always up on my heels a little bit in that game. Um, I mean, I still like playing D&D, but... I'm going to have less fun during combats of D&D because I'll probably have like decided my turn, you know, 20 minutes ago and it's going to be another 10 till my turn comes around. Sometimes it's it's hard sitting through other people's turns. That is for sure. And and not because they're bad players by any means, but no, but but no. you you make a really good point when you're used to kind of being the DM or GM of a game, like you're, there's not really any downtime. You're constantly making things happen, making roles, making other people do roles. And so when you're just a player, <clears throat> you have a little bit more time in between that stuff. And for somebody who, you know, is used to that kind of snappy uh, action of a game, 
sometimes that can be a little bit little bit uh, off putting. Yeah. For example, but shout shout out to uh, to our mutual friend AK. Uh, sh- shout out to AK and uh, Matt from ADHD Twenty. Um, but you know, she talks about using her entire downtime between turns to like decide like what the heck is she going to do on her turn and i am now getting that experience so i'm now like all right take me back to school i'm i'm figuring this out for the first time which is another really fun thing about checking out new systems you know if if you are at the point with an rpg where you're like okay i i kind of know what this is it's never not going to be fun for me but i know what this is i know how it goes i know the cycles and the rhythms Try picking up a new RPG. Like, see, you know, the hard part is convincing your friends. But if you can manage it, oh man, there's nothing better than than uh, getting getting that that first time feeling again. You know? Yeah, and and especially just experiencing something that, like that with friends, especially friends who who can commit to something, and they're like, yes, let's do it. Like we're in because because that is the kind of a, a drawback that sometimes comes with RPGs and, and groups like that because it's hard to schedule everybody. It's hard to get everybody's schedules on the same on the same <laughs> yes. place. And but when you can find that that perfect group of people that are like, yes, we're in, let's make it happen. Um, and you can get kind of get that consistency and momentum going, especially with a new system. I imagine that's like the best feeling <laughs> when you're gonna bring mean, it together. Uh, more more than anything, you really just need someone who is willing to GM <laughs> like more than anything else whoever is going to run it they're going to decide my my first game master uh who i mentioned was Rose Lemon uh you know we we played fiasco a couple of times but she is the kind of person who can never quite sit still with a thing. So we played so many different systems. We played Fiasco, yes. We played Apocalypse World. We played Stars Without Number. We played Dread. We played Ten Candles. We eventually played D&D. And she would start us off on campaigns, and we would get invested in the campaign. And then she'd be like, all right, I want to try something else. And we're like, no! We just got invested. We we want to know how these stories end. She'd be like, yeah, uh, maybe sometime. I, I want to play this new thing. And hey, you know, when your game master says that this is what they want to run, like, all right, I'm 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 gonna go. I'm gonna go where you go. You just kind of roll with it. And and I think the more games you play like that, the more kind of you speak the language of games. Like and it makes it yes. easier to learn and pick up more in the in the future when you try something new because you've already had that experience. And and so you're right. Like getting to to get out there, get out of that D and D bubble, it's really helpful, and it, and it opens you up to a whole new world of different kinds of stories, different kind of role play, different kind of mechanics, combat, and there's so much. And, stuff and out I think there. I think that's that's the key of it. And to you know to bring this back around to storytelling, right? Like um, you can flavor D and D with a lot of different genres of storytelling. You absolutely you can, but it's kind of like the way that. Marvel movies can also dabble in different genres. Of course, you can have, you know, your political thriller with Winter Soldier, and then you can have your whatever team buddy comedy with Guardians or whatever. But at the end of the day, they're all going to be Marvel movies, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love Marvel movies, but you're never going to get, you know, uh, uh, Zach and Miri make a porno, right? Like, you, you need a different you need a different RPG system for that. 
to in order to do that. And and there are so many out there now that are based on such different kinds and genres of storytelling that it, yeah, you're absolutely right. You just you learn more about about the form, you learn more about yourself as a storyteller. There's so many things to explore and play. You're you're 100% right and I can't wait to see after after we get through the stories to see kind of what uh, impact your experience as a GM, a, a player, a, a game person, how that influenced your your story and how that influenced your process. I can't wait to to hear about that. Um, I want to ask you a question that I try to ask every guest, yeah. uh, going back to kind of the storytelling idea, um, because everybody has a different answer to a question like this, and I think it's so interesting to hear those different answers. Um, what what do you think, in kind of the broadest or maybe most granular terms, however you want to explain it, what do you think makes a good story? It, it can be any kind of uh, medium, film, books, mm. podcasts, like. Uh, w- what do you think makes a, a good story in your opinion? You know, I, I think so much of that comes down to a specific person's history and like, and, and where they're at when they receive a story, you know, you, you might encounter something that is a, uh, a guaranteed masterpiece that everyone agrees is one of the greatest pieces of media of all time. And you might catch at a point and go, you know what? That's boring. I don't, I don't like that. Um, so, so, so much of it is so personal, but I think the thread that I find is it's about the balance between the familiar and the unfamiliar. And I think what I mean by that is that Any good story, if it catches you in the right place at the right time, is going to be something that you can approach. You know, it's it's coming off of a set of cultural touch points that you're familiar with, maybe, or it's in a genre that you know the beats of, or it has a character that you identify with. But then there's going to be something unfamiliar. There's going to be subversion. There's going to be something that takes you past that comfort zone into something new. Even something, even stories that you find to be comfort food, right? It's going to be comfort food because you're finding something new in it, right? Like that's that's the thing that people always say when it's like, oh, I have this one movie, this one book that I reread every year, whatever. The reason why I keep doing it, because I find something new every time. So I think, you know, as storytellers, we're always pushing boundaries, not for the sake of pushing boundaries uh, alone, but because there is always a new frontier to discover. And it's going to on the other side of that, it's going to be something that teaches us about ourselves. It's going to be something that because we started from that familiar place, we're going to learn more about what we're capable of, about what we, even just something as simple as what we're into, what we like or dislike, or in identifying with a character and then seeing them make a choice that we wouldn't make or see them make a choice and then wonder like, oh, maybe maybe I could, maybe I'm not that person, but maybe I could be, and I want to be more that aspirational aspect. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the the balance between the familiar and unfamiliar. That's, this is exactly why I ask a question like this, because you get such a good answer like that, <laughs> like something that I never could have guessed that would be an answer, but you're a hundred percent right in, in every part of that. Like the idea of <clears throat> a story subverting expectations in any way, whether it's a book, a TV show, a movie, it is one of the best feelings in the world when you kind of come into 
come into it with a set idea and then it just throws all that out the window and changes that it changes your perspective and then you walk out of that theater the coffee shop while you're reading your book you know a different person like you said it can change you it can change how you view stories and then as a storyteller it influences your future stories down the road because maybe you drew uh one connection from this movie that you saw in theaters a decade ago you're like i love that one scene and it's always stuck with me throw that into one of your stories like or whatever or, or a campaign that you're writing as a, as a gm you know there's it's so interesting to to have that subversion of expectations um, be kind of that through line, that thread through stories that connect with you. And so thank you for that answer. <laughs> thank you for the question. It's it's one of those things that like, I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't ask every guest because <laughs> truly everybody has a different perspective of a different viewpoint on stories. And so Every time I ask it, I get a cool answer that I will put away in my pocket for later when I'm feeling down and I'll be like, oh, that cool thing that, that Tay said, I'm going to pull that out and feel inspired for my next s'more story or whatever it is I'm working on, you know? So I think maybe now's a good time to, to maybe introduce our topic, which I Ooh. am so excited about. Uh, you chose this topic. Um, you've seen, of course, the topic list, uh, which yes. there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> good, weird, weird. Sometimes bad. I don't know. Um, but what was what made you what before we get to the topic? What kind of yeah. drew you to this one um, over the other you ones? You know, I, I I was I was scrolling through the list and I was just kind of free associating and seeing like what what things pulled up for me. And I think what was most interesting about this selection is when I when my eyes landed on this topic, a story fully popped into my head. Like I knew what the story was. I knew where it was going to go. I knew everything top to bottom. And then I did not write that story. And I wrote something completely different. Um, so, so, oh, and then, you know, this will also just get into to my sort of uh, process on this. But um, I so I've started a new job and and it's been pretty demanding in a lovely way in a wonderful way. It's it's uh it's definitely more of the GM side of like everything firing on all cylinders and and uh, uh getting into those flow states. Um but I haven't had a lot of time. I haven't had a lot of downtime for for other things and I kind of knew that I would not have time for this. So I blocked off like an hour or two. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it all then. And I did. I wrote, and what came out was not what I thought I was going to write at all. Did not edit at all. And I haven't read it aloud at all. So uh, what you all get on this podcast is going to be as much a surprise to you as it is to me. Oh, that is so exciting to hear because <laughs> a little peek behind the curtain of the of the podcast curtain, uh, that happens all the time with me <laughs> on my yeah. stories. Like I try my best to, to, you know, maybe do a little bit of an edit, maybe do a read through out loud because I'm not good at reading out loud. And so I kind of try to do that. But there are sometimes where it's just it is what it is <laughs> and that's yeah, and that's there yeah. is something refreshing and and kind of pure about that um because it's just a, a raw story it's exactly what it is you know um and so we I, I mentioned this before we started recording but normally uh with oh wait we haven't even i haven't even said what the topic is we no. we, we should reveal that uh would you like to reveal it this one is and this is another reason why i, I loved it is it seemed so specific 
because uh, some of your topics are very uh, are very broad, very open to interpretation. Not that this one isn't, but our topic today is doves are the worst bird, and I'm the only one who knows it. <laughs> it's which I love. It's I love it so much. It's so specific, uh, it, and I want to <laughs> give a shout out to to my good friend uh, John Andrews uh, for submitting that topic. I always want to give a shout out to to the people that that submit these weird topics that we create stories out of. Uh, John has submitted so many great ones, so please continue to, to give me those great topics. Um, Thank you, John. It's, Doves are the worst bird, and I'm the only one who knows it. I feel like I feel like I need to like chat with John and be like, all right, what what dove hurt you, bud? <laughs> I will, I'm just going to, th- a little bit of a spoiler alert for future episodes, he'll be on. Oh, nice. Ask him, ask him. I will, I will ask it from you directly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and and uh, so <clears throat> I think uh, I mentioned this also before we, we started recording, but in the past previous episodes, I have, uh, we've kind of just decided in the moment who wants to go first, but in keeping with our our dice, our role playing, our tabletop uh, traditions, I think we got to roll a, a d twenty to yes. see to see who goes. So I've got my little rolling setup uh, with nice. my new set of dice that that me and Brittany uh, ma- oh. made a trek out to a shop uh, here in Atlanta to go get. Um, what are the dice described for your listeners? Ooh, it, they are very very nice. It's a, a blue base uh, dice with red and green and kind of light blue speckles in there Ooh, so it's cool. very i like i like colors in my dice i don't want it to be boring yeah. but i also don't have a lot of money to spend on really cool dice so you know sometimes you gotta just pick and choose and the, and then there's also the practical it has to be readable exactly. you know there's yes. some gorgeous dice out there that you just can't see what the numbers are and yeah, 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 yeah at one point i will splurge and get like a a heavy like metal set of dice not yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> That's my jam, Colby. That's my jam. I I will say, uh, what someone gifted me a set of metal dice, and I never went back. I can't. Plastic dice now just they're not satisfying to roll anymore. I've been spoiled. I've been spoiled. Maybe you shouldn't get metal dice for that reason. Maybe you should, you know, because then you're gonna then you're gonna then the rest of your collection is just like, oh, what is this trash? This is just this just is gonna go in the ocean and kill a turtle. I want to be spoiled. No, that that uh, turtle is going to roll a natural twenty and survive. Ooh! <laughs> uh, if you're going to roll, make me odd. Okay. Okay. So I will be even. Tay will be odd. Let's let's see what happens. I already am. We might as well. That is it. a seventeen. Ooh. Okay. So then I'll go first. So it seems like you let's will go jam. first, which makes a lot of sense. I think that I think the dice gods, that. the dice gods knew. We got to talk about your process a little bit already, so it makes sense that, yeah. that the, you would read. The first. dice gods knew that this was uh, that they should save the best for last. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, I would normally argue with you, but I've evolved as a person, so I, I'm gonna not say that I'm the best. But I'm just not going to argue with you. <laughs> um, so yeah. So do you, do you have a title for your for your story? I don't. I don't. Maybe maybe you'll tell me what the title should be afterward. Ooh, that might be a, a fun discussion. Uh, uh, there are definitely a, a fair amount of stories that I write for this podcast that don't have to- that don't have titles. So don't feel any pressure. Don't worry about it. Uh, today for my story, I was like, I'm going to come up with one. So I, I thought about it for a little bit. It's a pretty stupid title. We'll get to it. But um, but yeah, so so you'll you'll take it away. Uh, again, the topic is doves are the worst bird. And I'm the only one who knows it. Um, and then 
you will read, we will discuss a little bit, and uh, then we'll get to my story as well. So um, take it away. Sitting patiently outside the executive's office, Lorenzo studied the flag of the United Global Peace Corporation for the umpteenth time. A calming blue sea with a stylized olive wreath being carried aloft by a white dove, emblazoned in the center, wings outstretched. The symbol now plastered on every package, corporate building, transport, and coffee mug on earth. Lorenzo, like most people his age, had grown up with the dove and olive branch. It was so ubiquitous as to no longer garner public comment, although privately, Lorenzo thought that the bird had a rather dead expression. The CEO will see you now, said the pretty receptionist, who had appeared at the large oak double doors. Sure, thanks, replied Lorenzo, as he stood to walk through to the office beyond. Do you have any idea what this is about? Sorry, I just manage the appointments. They don't tell me anything beyond name, date, and time. Sure, sure, thanks anyhow. As Lorenzo passed on into the office, he reflected on whether or not this was going to be his last day working for United Global. Surely no one really cared about the extra time he took on lunch breaks to go out on the balcony and stare at the sky. If anything, a bit of daydreaming out toward the stars fit neatly under his job description. Perhaps then, this was about the discrepancies in the satellite readings that started last month. But if the irregularities, which Lorenzo still attributed to the odd decision by upper management to reorient satellite 4C.13 out away from Earth, if the irregularities were enough to warrant a private debrief with Mr. Tilsom, wouldn't that have happened before now? Lorenzo Suarez, a pleasure to meet you in person. Mr. Tilson was a broad man in a fine tailored suit, hair swept back away from a large forehead and sprayed down to ensure not a single strand strayed from its appointed place. A tiny dove and wreath pin adorned his lapel. Lorenzo shook his hand and gulped silently at the way Tilson's meaty fingers entirely consumed and lightly crushed his own more tender digits. Pleasure's all mine, sir. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to know what all this is about. Mr. Tilsom let out a hearty chuckle. Oh, come now, son. You've just been invited into the inner sanctum of the leader of the global unity. Have a seat. Take in the view. Relax. Tilsom gestured to a walnut armchair upholstered in what must have been a leather substitute. Lorenzo took a seat, closed his eyes, and consciously took a breath. When he opened them again, Tilson was seated across the large mahogany desk, pouring something amber from a decanter into a pair of crystal tumblers. He was framed by the enormous floor-to-ceiling windows that dominated his office. They looked out onto the capital city, and from this height, even with the light from the buildings below, Lorenzo could make out the tree line of the vast forest beyond the city limits. You're not being fired, if that's what you're worried about. Lorenzo immediately exhaled in relief, and the executive chuckled again, a sound that rolled over the desk in between them. Thank you, sir. It's just, in my division, not many people get called to your office who we ever hear from again. (laughs) Well, you're perfectly safe, Lorenzo. In fact, your performance in the last few weeks has caught the eye of your supervisors in a positive way. Really? (laughs) 
Don't act so surprised, my boy. You're diligent, detail-oriented, and the work you do is vital to the continuation of our grand project. Lorenzo glanced around nervously. Surely there must be some sort of joke here that he was missing. I... I just monitor satellite relays, sir. Lorenzo quickly attempted to clarify. It's not that I don't think it's important work. I I know that communications and surveillance are a major component of global unity and compliance, but I mean, there must be a thousand of us. And and, and I don't mean to denigrate my own work here, sir, but I know I'm just a drone, sir. That, That is, I know we're all important to the project, but anyone could take my place at any time if you... I don't want to be replaced. Of course I don't. I just know I could be, is all I'm saying. So I'm not that special, is all I'm saying. Silence. Mr. Tilsom watched this anxious outburst with a little smile playing at the corners of his mouth, but stopped just short of laughing again, which Lorenzo appreciated. The executive allowed his employee to collect himself before pushing a tumbler over and taking a sip of his own. Tilsom swiveled slightly in his high-backed chair and turned his attention to the UGPC flag hanging limply from a stand in the back corner of the room. Back before the mergers, and even before then, humanity lived in small groups, enclaves, tribes, bands, whatever you want to call them. You familiar, Suarez? Uh, vaguely, sir? Well, back then, we'd fight over resources. Back then, we had need for war. And we used to do some pretty terrible things in the name of it. Rout our enemies and put their heads on pikes in front of the walls of the town. A grim warning to any of their kind who might try to come back and start something again. Tilsom leveled a stony glare at Lorenzo and inclined his head back toward the flagpole in the corner. Do you know the meaning behind our flag, Suarez? Um, dove and olive branch? It stands for peace, sir. We certainly want it to, don't we? I'm sure that's what they taught you at United Global Peace Academy. (laughs) We certainly pay them enough to teach exactly that. Tilsom sighed and took another sip of his drink, and Lorenzo saw the mask of corporate gregariousness fall for a brief moment, Before he continued, We've got an extinct bird holding an extinct plant as our corporate logo. Hell, as the de facto flag of planet Earth ever since the mergers. Lorenzo furrowed his brow. Where was Mr. Tilsom going with this? And what did it have to do with him? Back at the beginning, the boys in marketing spun a great line about the old world symbols of peace of how they died out, but thanks to our ingenuity and applied resources, we could bring back the idea, even if not the actual species. Tilsom gestured at the flag and at the words embossed on the front of his desk, United Global Peace Corporation. We do exactly what it says on the tin. Acquire enough smaller concerns, manufacturing, media, energy, academia, governments, that peace becomes not only possible, but inevitable the first truly global, all-market monopoly. The executive seemed lost in contemplation, so Lorenzo mustered up the courage to respond. And we were successful, right? I mean, wars are now something my generation only learns about in school. There hasn't been one in my lifetime. No, responded Tilsom gravely. But there will be. 
A shiver ran down Lorenzo's spine. Sir? Tell me about the data you received from satellite 4C.13. Ah, so there it was. It was something about the discrepancies. At least for Lorenzo, this was familiar territory. Well, sir, it was all in my report, but essentially 4C.13 was repurposed from the general array and targeted at a specific point out in space, sector 78, subsector DFZ, on the orders of my direct supervisor, who had direct orders from me, interrupted Tilsom. Go on. Yes, sir. Well, the data coming back from 4C.13 has been a little unusual. At first, we thought it was equipment error, but we were assured time and again by extraterrestrial affairs that the satellite was in perfect working order. At the specific point we were taking readings from, it's like a static was coming back, a section of space that was being received as jumbled, as a mass of erratic movement data, yet with a certain order to it, almost like... Lorenzo paused. His supervisor had not allowed him to formally write this as part of the assessment in his, in his report. Too fanciful, the supervisor had said. Almost like what, Suarez? Almost like an enormous flock of birds, as large as a planetoid. There was a quiet that hung in the air of the office. Mr. Tilsom did not laugh at this. He didn't move. After a moment, he stood from his chair. Thank you, Suarez. That will be all. Sir, what does it mean? Mr. Tilson set his jaw and looked out the window at the capital city, then lifted his eye line to the forest, and then further still to the skies beyond. It means our warnings didn't work. It means the real business of UGPC's only beginning. And it means you can head back to your station, son. We'll be needing more of your vital work in the days to come. Then Mr. Tilson smiled and placed a large hand on Lorenzo's back and escorted him to the door of the office with inexorable force. As the large double doors closed behind him, Lorenzo heard Mr. Tilson speak again out to the windows in a whisper that Lorenzo was sure he wasn't meant to hear. We killed you once. We'll do it again, you bastards. <laughs> Oh, yes. Okay. This, oh my God. Okay. Okay. Okay, sir. This story is just so incredibly interesting in so many ways that I I, I got to focus. I got to focus in, get my questions right, because I have so many things I want to talk about. First of all. Thank you for, for, for writing a story, for oh, sharing thanks your... Thanks for the prompts. This is a blast. I, I, I really is. I, I love doing this. <laughs> so the what I want to talk about first, I think you don't know what the setting is at the beginning. You don't know what kind of time period we're in. We don't know kind of this world that you have built for this story. And then it's just mm-hmm. given to us bit by bit. Line, yeah, line yeah. by line, like <laughs> I love that kind of dissemination of information um, because in a story this short, it's kind of hard to 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 tease a, a reader like that. But I think sure. it works so well for this. And to I think to start with uh, the idea of of an employee waiting for a a meeting that he has been called to by his boss immediately puts me in a state of anxiety. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's such a good way to start a story off because. Everybody knows that feeling of feeling like, oh, I've done something wrong. I think it every yeah. time my boss messages me, he's like, hey, can you call me? And I'm like, God damn it. Oh, 
what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> and so to start a story like that puts you in such a, a, a unique headspace to be like, I don't know what's about to happen. I'm nervous for for the, for Lorenzo. Like, I don't know what's about to happen. And then he meets Tillman, who I think is such an interesting character. Um, <laughs> and, and then and then you're giving us bits of, of information about this world, about the history of this world. And and then by the end of it, we're in bird war. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 I, you know, it was very, it was pretty stream of consciousness, to be entirely honest. Uh, I, so, so now that we've read it, I can say, you know, when I, when I um, saw the prompt, I thought of that moment from Rick and Morty, when um, Morty is given the power to talk to animals and then starts overhearing you know, the conspiracy of squirrels and that becomes like a major issue real fast. So I, I thought that that was the story I was going to write was this story about um, <laughs> these these doves that are <laughs> planning to take over the world or something like that. And uh, when I started, there was something about uh, the image of a dove on a flag and about someone waiting. And I think it was... It was um, similar to me from from the the opening shots of the good place you know the the tv show the good place starts with someone sitting waiting for a meeting and they're looking at i don't know that it says like everything will be okay or everything is fine or you're good or or something like that um and i think that that image just kicked me off and then it was like off to the races and i was i was uh i was learning about these characters along with you as i wrote which is such a such a fun way to to create a story is is kind of not yeah. not having a set idea in mind obviously it helps sometimes to have an outline if you want to go through that process of creating one but then there's really really great times of just letting it flow and then like kind of yeah. like you said figuring out these characters as you're writing them um, because it doesn't necessarily feel like that, like in just reading along with you and, and hearing your your fantastic performance, by the way, of course, uh, of, of your yeah. of your characters. Like it's so uh, it, it feels like a like a lived in world. Like it doesn't feel like you just kind of word vomited it out, which is saying something about your storytelling skills <laughs> oh, is that thanks. like even probably because you're so used to creating stories on the fly by GMing, like it makes sense that kind of flexing that muscle in like a prose or like a fiction setting. Yeah. It, I can see it in your work for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's also so funny because, you know, when you're, when you're GMing, it's out in the world and there, uh, there's not only no editing, but there's also no transcript. You can't go back and see, I mean, you might have your notes, but really you just have your memory of it and the player's memory of it to remind you what happened or what was described. Um, and it's so interesting to see this and, and to go back to it and see it all written down because all of a sudden now I can like see like, oh, I think that was maybe the influence for this. Like I think what you're talking about with the the world getting teased out as you go, I'm thinking a lot about like The Giver, um, which is one of my favorite books of all time, um, Lois Lowry, and does a similar thing where there's this sort of, there's this sort of maybe post-apocalyptic civilization we're not really sure it's definitely a different kind of society than we're familiar with in the present day and um and it's a similar thing of like you're just there and as a reader 
you you better pick up on details to see where the differences are and what this world is because it's not going to be laid out for you. Uh, and a lot of a lot of stories do that. But I was I was thinking a lot about the about the giver going into this, and also the idea of of you know complex authority figures who uh, are maybe not the best people, but also there may be reasons to why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, and then I also just. I love the idea of taking a really, really dumb idea very seriously. <laughs> a lot, a lot of my own uh, like plays that I've created are that of like, we're going to take this utterly laughable idea, something that just like tickles me of how dumb it is, but then we're going to treat it really seriously <laughs> and see where that leads us. There's nothing funnier, honestly. Like that's such a, a big part of comedy is like you can have whatever premise you want, but if you commit to it, it's funny. Like, and you can have the the humor of the concept and still have like the goodness of the storytelling combined into one <laughs> tiny story. And I think that's such a, a beautiful part of, of a story like this. Um, and, and you mentioned you kind of got it all out in one session. Um, yeah. Is that, I'm curious kind of what your experience is like with writing prose or, or fiction like this, obviously with, with GMing, you're, you're telling a story and you're taking notes, you're creating the world characters and all that, but it's not as linear of a, of a story as something like right. this. And so I'm curious how you're, experience in that field has affected or influenced your your process here yeah i you know i don't do a ton of of creative writing that is just that is just for me just for fun um uh, i just never got into the habit of it and it's actually really difficult for me um i find that when i'm when I'm forced to, <laughs> I, I've done a lot of uh, plays uh, where, you know, I'm, I'm running a program for students. There, there's a, there's a, uh, an organization in Evanston called the Actors Gymnasium, and they mainly do circus, but they're also, they're, they're doing theater and physical theater and circus theater. Um, and one of the things that I really like about them is they, they approach it kind of narrative first. And so in their circus shows, they will have a story that like a musical, you know, when the emotional stakes rise, a, a music act breaks out here when the emotional stakes rise, a circus act breaks out. And so I worked with my wife on um, writing uh, these plays for a solid few years, and we we created a bunch of them. And being put against the wall for those deadlines is so hard. <laughs> Any of my own writing, I, I find really, really difficult um, to, to actually get out. And I'm a, you know, horrible procrastinator and and all of that stuff terrible writing habits don't don't learn any of that from me but um but getting a, a prompt like this where the stakes are so low it's literally just you know we're just going to share these and it's all good you know um it all just kind of flowed out it all kind of flowed out there was very little um self-censoring going on that usually happens with my writing. So I was really, I was really grateful for that. So thank you, Colby. Of course. No, you're welcome. And, and I, I struggle a lot with that too, of kind of like self-editing as I write. And sometimes it, it winds up taking forever and it's not fun. And so like, like how you did it, where it's just kind of, you're able to, to let it flow. That's such a nice feeling and, and being able to, to create something out of that just, it feels good. So 
and and the creative constraint of just like you know what I've only got these two hours to do this so better get it done yes and I always it, I always try to make sure it is it feels low stakes because it's just a story like I, I've had people on who haven't ever written anything really and I I want them to feel the same as somebody who has a lot of experience writing because you know I don't want anybody to feel anxious about this because it is yeah. just a storytelling we're sitting around a campfire a metaphorical campfire hanging out just talking, you know, talking through stories. And, um, and so I, I'm relieved to hear that you have had that, that experience in your, in your writing as well. Uh, the last thing I, I want to ask that, again, like I want to try to ask most of the guests because an interesting answer, where do you do your best work? Like setting wise, because I'm so curious <laughs> yeah. from, from everybody. Uh, you know, whenever I'm having a really, so, so writing specifically, uh, whenever I'm having a really hard time writing, I, I need to be in motion. <laughs> uh, there were times in college where, you know, if I couldn't get a paper done or what have you, I would hop on the train. I would hop on the L train in Chicago, which goes in a big loop and, uh, and just write it. And so I was, so I was in motion and with things kind of passing by, I was able to get things flowing, you know, onto paper a lot easier. Um, you know, I, I will often just like, even if it's just around the house, just like choosing a new place to sit and then write for a bit and then get up and go to a different chair and then write for a bit and then get up and go, you know, like that, or like hopping coffee shops or what have you. Uh, once again, probably not healthy, but it works for me. So. Yeah. I, th I think that's, uh, that's good to, to know because you are, it's almost like you're surprising your body with like, hey, new setting, new location, and yes. which, which almost like resets it for your brain, right? And so yeah, it's the it's the kinesthetic feedback that that kind of yeah that jump starts things for sure. Um, and I, I that's something I want to kind of play around with as I as I do more of these episodes, as I have more stories to write. You know, is it, kind of changing up what I do so that I can see kind of what works best for me. Um, and and what I've learned, uh, this isn't. Like obviously the physical act of writing, but in you mentioned in motion and the 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 act of how that can kind of like help the flow of your brain. What I've noticed recently is when I'm on a run, I tend to like that's when my brain tends to 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 work better. It feels like like I can come up with ideas uh, for for a story I'm working on um, a little bit better because I, I think I'm my body's moving. I don't have the the distraction of wanting to look at my phone while I'm running, and so it's kind of a a, a pure environment for me, and so. I'm trying to like be more productive with my runs. I have the same effect in a shower. I love a shower. Like shower ideas are a real thing for for my brain. <laughs> and I feel like that that's like tried and tested, right? Like there's something about it. There's something about, you know, having having a, again that like textural feedback of like water running down your skin and all of a sudden your brain is unlocked. It's like, yeah. Exactly. And so I definitely want to try to to change my like just even just to get up and go to go to the couch or go to the living room table, then go back to my office and, and kind of see see if that pulls something extra out of me, you know. And so uh, I will be take I will be stealing your idea and, and doing hey. it myself, <laughs> which is the open secret of this podcast is just stealing ideas from people and, and figuring out how to make it work for myself. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, awesome. Well, uh Shall we hear my story? <gasps> I would love to. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, and I do have uh, a title. Like I said, I, I forced myself to come up with one today because I was like, 
my last story did not have a title. I'm going to make it work for this one. And so I came up with what is admittedly a pretty dumb one. <laughs> you know I love nothing better. Let's hear it. And so again, the, the topic is, of course, doves are the worst burden. I'm the only one who knows it. Um, and the topic that I came up with for my story is a bird in the hand ain't worth two shits. <laughs> So, um, so I will, I will read uh, this story and then we'll discuss it a little bit. They wouldn't stop laughing at me again. So yeah, I'm going home to get a weapon. No, don't worry. It's not a gun. Don't believe in them. Not in 2023. No, I'm getting my sword. It all began last week on my way to work, minding my own business, avoiding people as usual. I hopped on the train and began reading my book, a used sci-fi novel by a guy whose name I don't know how to pronounce. It kind of sucks, but I never leave anything unfinished. It's against my morals or whatever. I'd slogged through three or four pages when I caught something out of the corner of my eye through the train window. A bird was flying at the same pace as the train, just looking at me, flapping fast enough to keep up with the speed of a moving train with its neck craned toward the window, peering inward right into my vision. For no longer than 10 seconds, we locked eyes until it peeled off and seemingly disappeared. Then, the weirdest thought popped into my head, one that felt both stupid and juvenile. Did that bird look pissed? Nah, I thought to myself. What a stupid thing to imagine. Then it happened again the next day, only this time the pigeon stared at me for a full minute before leaving. It was then that I determined that, yeah, it looked pissed, even if I couldn't really explain how. I got exactly zero work done that day, sitting at my desk, fixated on that stupid bird. How could I focus on something as boring as data input? The next day, two birds showed up. Turns out the first one had a pal. They appeared as soon as I took my regular seat and flew next to me for the full 23-minute train ride, chirping up a storm next to each other the whole time. Laughing. They were laughing at me. I could tell as someone who's been laughed at his whole life. Nobody else in the train seemed to notice or care, which made it all the worse. It was just a roast of me with an audience of me. I spent the whole day Googling birds in between pointless meetings in which all I could think about were those stupid animals. I thought they were just pigeons, but apparently I know next to nothing about birds because they were allegedly doves. These white rats with wings supposedly represented peace, going all the way back to Noah's Ark. But who believed that malarkey? Not me. Not after witnessing their shittery. It got worse as the week went on. More and more doves showed up until a whole flock was keeping up with the train, which finally got some attention from the other passengers. Are you, like, feeding them or something? Some lady asked. Can you get them to stop, please? I didn't bother answering her dumb questions, which, in hindsight, probably made me look pretty weird to everyone who'd gathered around. All I wanted was to ignore them and finish my bad book. When I stepped off, the conductor informed me that I was no longer allowed on the train. Apparently, someone told him I'd been endangering the passengers. He wouldn't listen to my protests, so no more train. The next morning, all-out war began. With no car and no train to ride, my bike was the only option. I should have just called out sick. Hell, I should have quit. But that would have been admitting defeat. Letting the birds win. Not gonna happen. So I hopped on my old road bike that hadn't been used properly since I was in college and began what would soon become the longest bike ride of my life. Within five minutes, the first dove showed, annoying as ever, they obviously all looked the same to me, but something told me this particular bird was the first one I originally saw on the train, mocking me. Without the benefit of a window to deaden the sounds of my new mortal enemy, I sincerely regretted not grabbing my headphones before I left. Its cackling was the only thing I could hear, drowning out everything else. As I focused in, 
I heard words. High-pitched and shrill, the tweets became clearer. You stink, you stink, you stink, you stink. That's what the dove was saying to me. Telling me I stink? Nothing made sense. Until more doves showed up to harass me, each one with something different to scream into my ears, no less than ten of those demons had gathered around me as I rode down the street, trying my best not to crash. Each of them screamed in two syllables. Fuck you! Asshole! Dick face! It was an impressive amount of unique words and phrases, all derogatory and all directed at me. Fuck this, I screamed, unintentionally perpetuating the two-syllable cycle as I skidded to a halt on the sidewalk. They fell silent and landed on a nearby lamppost. I glared in their general direction, waiting for them to do something, anything, but they glared right on back at me. A battle of wills that I refused to lose. Sure, I hated my job, but I wasn't about to give up. Stubbornly stubborn, remember? What do you want from me, huh? I yelled, not sure of my next move. Can I help you? They just stared in silence, metaphorically and collectively flipping me the bird, if you'll pardon my stupid pun. It just pissed me off even more, and as I readied myself to scream again, they screamed louder, resuming their repeated two-syllable insults as more doves began to join the swarm. Before 30 seconds had passed, each power line on the block had a line of white demons sagging in the middle. Hundreds. With no other options in sight, I took off, full of anger and, honestly, terror. I've seen the Hitchcock movie, and those little fuckers will mess you up. And that brings us back to the now. I'm pumping the pedals on my rickety bike being chased by a murder of doves. I know, I know, it's normally a murder of crows, but trust me, it applies here. As in, I'm about to murder these doves with a sword. Let me explain. Back in high school, a bunch of the class dicks voted me for Homecoming King. What a hilarious joke. Except I actually won over some of those same dicks and was given a sword for my troubles. And for a nerd like myself, it couldn't have gone better. I've been waiting 13 years to use that sword. Back home, I sprint inside and narrowly dodge a few doves dive-bombing me as they splatter against the concrete of my driveway. They've gone full kamikaze now. The sword is hiding in my closet underneath the winter jackets I'm too lazy to hang up. It feels good in my hands, like I've been ready for this moment my whole life. It's not exactly sharp, but I figure it'll do if I swing hard enough. As I make for the front door, the little monsters quiet down, setting up what is sure to be a trap. I don't think, not for a second, if I don't give them enough time to set a trap, I'll get an advantage, maybe even a couple of free swings on them. I pull off my shirt to get into character. It helps. Then I scream, putting everything into it and throw open the front door, sword flailing back and forth. I think my eyes might be closed. When I open them, realizing I didn't hit anything, I see nothing. They're gone. Not a single goddamn bird in sight. Have I lost my mind? I'm calling the cops, a woman screams from the sidewalk, looking horrified. Knowing how insane I must look, I sprint back inside and run to my room, locking the door behind me and hyperventilating. Right when I'm about to lose my shit, I see it. Through the window next to my bed, a single dove, sitting on a branch, just staring at me. With a sigh, I decide to go have a conversation with the cops. The doves can't get to me and lock up. The end. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that is uh, that is my story. That is uh a bird in the hand ain't worth two shits. 
Uh, that definitely feels uh, more like that, like the Rick and Morty, but also mixed with like, there were, I was getting like some goosebumps from that. Like it felt to me like the structure of a goosebumps story of like, the the buildup and the turn and the the finale leaving the the protagonist's fate in question yeah rad rad as hell that's such a nice compliment because the Goosebumps series is is an incredible so like so I, I have good. so many great memories reading those as a, as a kid I wasn't allowed to so I had to like sneak them oh um I was I, a preacher's too kid. devilish yeah. yeah oh yeah oh yeah I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter <laughs> so devilish um and so so yeah I think that's such a great compliment for me and and with such a specific topic like you mentioned you went in a direction where you just kind of took the idea of of this dove and on a flag and uh created this whole world around it which I think is amazing I went much more literal with the topic I was like I like this concept of this this, this yes. dude just kind of being harassed by doves and uh, and it just kind of ruins his life for like two weeks and essentially <laughs> kind of makes him lose his mind. Like I think he just kind of goes yeah. a little bit crazy. And so I think that's where the, the kind of goosebumps influence comes in a little bit. It's like pretty goofy. It's- but it's the same. It's the same thing of like taking a dumb idea very seriously. Uh, uh, there's such a clear voice of your protagonist in there that I really, I really appreciate. Um, the the you know exactly this dude. You know what I mean? Like you've you've met this guy. Either you've hung out with him or you've not wanted to hang out with him, <laughs> but you know him. He's not. Uh, he's not a nice person. You don't really yeah. want to hang out with him. And so I think I, I thought that was an interesting idea for protagonists. Like somebody I it, I tend to fall into the, the like cliche of like I like writing likable characters. And so for this one, it was just like I feel like maybe there's a little bit of justice too. like this kind of like mean dude gets harassed by birds. There's not really a good guy in it. Like the birds aren't the villains necessarily. <laughs> right, they're just right, right. they're just birds, animals, you know, doing their thing. Um, and the idea of. Uh, of giving him a sword just made me laugh. Well, that image of running around shirtless with a sword. Um, I love the, like, I took my shirt off just to complete the picture. Um, Well, it it kind of, you know, me and my wife talk about this too, that like sometimes when, you know, oftentimes with like crazy drivers, right? Crazy drivers on the street, peeling through traffic, doing nuts stuff. You can't understand what's going on there. And usually the impulse is just, anger, annoyance, what the hell, you know? Um, But if you take a second, you go, wait, what is that? What's going on with that person that that's what's happening today? Like what, what untold story that we're never going to know about has been going on in that person's life? I usually, for the sake of quelling my own road rage, I usually like to imagine that they are like violently shitting themselves in that moment because then you're then you're not mad right then then it's like oh i'm not mad at you like i hope i hope you get home you know i hope you're able to clean that up uh (laughs) and you know if you see you know florida man shirtless waving a sword on their front lawn maybe they were getting harassed by birds you just don't know doves are the worst bird and he was the only one who knew it (laughs) (laughs) um i this was an interesting one for me because i i had been kind of expecting this not not complication to come up with this podcast but when i started writing this one at the same time i had three other stories that i had to write for for Oof. for other episodes which i think felt a little overwhelming 
but was also really exciting because I had, had never really had that uh, overlap before in the last kind of year or so that I've been doing this. They were pretty spaced out. But um, I guess the the schedule just worked out to where it was like, oh, I have four things that I can work on right now. And since, you know, we don't have like a set deadline for small stories, it's I like to, again, not stress people out. Um, but it, it kind of allowed me the freedom to kind of switch back and forth between them, which was really fun because like nice. I had kind of the opposite experience with with this one where I, I didn't sit down in one sesh, session and, and kind of get it all out. It kind of came to me in spurts, um, in little bits. And so like I would maybe write a few paragraphs of this story, get stuck on something and then just switch to a different topic for another story. And it was really fun. Like it took me a long time and I'm still working on a couple of those other stories, but um, it was a unique uh, challenge that I hadn't really come across yet for this podcast, but it was very fun to have that kind of, oh, I just have things to do. Did you, did you learn anything about any specific story from having to hop back and forth? Like were there insights that you got into structure or character or what have you from having to flip back and forth? Definitely. I think the idea of, uh, of switching your brain, it just kind of lets ideas come, you know, in, in certain ways. And so like the sword concept for, for this story didn't come it, like it's, it's in the first line, but I added that later. Um, and I, I don't know where it came from, especially, uh, but it, it came because I was stuck and I didn't really have anything that I was like excited about for the story. And then I was working on something else and the idea of a sword popped in and I was like, I can't use a sword for, for this story, but it, is it kind of funny in this dove story? <laughs> like, I think it's, I think it might work. <laughs> and, and the idea of him having a sword because uh, he won homecoming king in high school, that happened to me. I have a sword because I won homecoming king in high school. I peaked in high school. I'll go ahead and say that. Um, <laughs> Uh, and as far as I know, it wasn't a joke. I don't know. You didn't have a podcast in high school, did you? That's a good point. I did not. Well, there you go. <laughs> I did not. Um, and so kind of like the the protagonist in the story, I've had this sword for upwards of 13 years now, just kind of sitting behind me, <laughs> you know, up against the wall. And I'm like, never in a million years would I use it for anything. But for this particular character who I don't, I don't name, but he, it, he seemed like the type of person that was like, I'm being harassed by these birds. He doesn't believe in guns. I don't believe in guns. I didn't want to write a character that did, but he's the kind of guy who's like, I've got this sword that I'm going to, I'm going to use. It's not sharp. <laughs> like it's probably very dull. Yeah. I also really like the idea of like, I don't believe in guns, but it's not because I don't believe in violence. Like I will a hundred percent engage in violence. <laughs> yes. And I didn't even think about it, but when you mentioned it a few minutes ago, he is a hundred percent from, from Florida. He's a Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it I don't know how that didn't pop into my head. I'm I'm literally in Georgia right above Florida. <laughs> and so it, he is the epitome of Florida man, I think. That is so spot on a connection that I didn't even think about. I just I can't wait to to, you know, hear the police transcript of that conversation. Well, there 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 were these fucking doves and they are assholes and they have been messing with me. <laughs> yeah, like I there's there's going to be like an article written about this uh this dude that just gets posted on like the New York Times or something just like Florida man <laughs> strikes again swinging swords at at birds. And I think the I think with the story like I felt like I could have written more 
Like I could have continued mm. his kind of descent into madness. And I kind of had to come to a point where I was like, okay, I don't want to go too far into the story. Cause then I'll have to edit a bunch more and I don't want to do that right. yet. But I think I kind of enjoyed writing a character like this. Um, and so whether I, yeah. whether I like go back and expand the story or just kind of keep that in mind for future stuff, it's kind of fun writing assholes. <laughs> you can do you can do the entire uh, dove based fight club situation of <laughs> don't tempt me with a good harassed, time being harassed by doves that no one else sees but me. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, I in my mind, I, the when you mentioned Rick and Morty, that's another connection that I didn't even think about. But I do really enjoy kind of the like zaniness of that show, where it's like you don't really know what whatever is going to happen, and they're going to take you on a journey, um, and, and I think. In my mind, this makes a lot of sense as like an animated short. You know what I mean? Like I could totally see that. I'm, you know, it's so it's really interesting now to read this story or to to hear you read this story because um, I think had I went with my initial impulse, we would have had two very similar stories. Uh, and I don't think mine would have been as good as yours. Uh, but but we would have had two very similar stories. Um, and so I don't know if there was just like something in the universe nudging me like, do do, do the next one. That, that one's covered, <laughs> you know? It's interesting that it popped out that way. Uh, absolutely. It's the beauty of this podcast where it's just like, it, somehow something happens where every time the stories are very different, even really? if every time, like I've never had a story anywhere close to somebody else's. And, and sometimes, sometimes I do it like I did with this one where I stick pretty close to the topic. Sometimes I'll just take an idea from the topic and, and then kind of expand it into its own world. Um, and, and somehow every time it's the beauty of writing, I guess, and storytelling wow. is that everybody kind of has a different story to tell. They, cause everybody draws from, their own experience and their own life and everybody's lived their own life you know like for me the homecoming king sword not everybody has that just lying around next to them you know and so for me that was like that's funny to wait, me wait yeah wait hold on hold on we've got a sorry we got a backpedal for a second so you uh at your school they give the homecoming king a sword what what yeah i don't really know why i went to a christian school and, and it didn't make any sense but as somebody who loves fantasy, I was not mad about it. Like, like you're like you're like a paladin for the Lord now because you're homecoming king. I'll grab it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited! <laughs> oh, thrilled, thrilled. <gasps> there it is. There it is. Wow. Oh, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I even knew what I was expecting, but that is far beyond. It's wow. like they, they put money into this. It's not like, I mean, I could maybe kill somebody with it, but I like, it's not a real, <laughs> real sword, obviously, but it's, it's got some weight to it. <laughs> and so that's yeah. the funniest part um, is that it just has been existing, waiting to be used in a story this whole time. Incredible. So like I mentioned, uh, kind of in our when we did our, our rundown before we started recording, we always like to end our episodes with a bit of a story spotlight where we we give the listeners not only a great story to listen to from from us directly, but we also want to give them something to walk away with, to check out, maybe to look up something that means a lot to you. Maybe you watched it recently or consumed it recently, or you just want to recommend something that you care about. Um, and and 
we had some funny choices because we did wind up picking the same thing at first. But uh, I'm so curious what what you would like to recommend uh, for our listeners. Um, yeah, you know, I know that a lot of folks uh, have already seen this, uh, but I came to it late. My my family just sat down to watch uh, the latest Jordan Peele joint. Nope. Um, oh man, what what a movie! What a movie! Um, and talk about. Talk about something that's going to like start in the familiar and juke your expectations. Like what? Uh, uh, hmm. Is this more of a, is this, is this is your podcast? So you tell me, mm-hmm. is this more of a, like a, a recommendation spoiler free kind of situation or. I would say I, I don't like spoilers and I think fair enough for a movie specifically like Nope. Yes. There's a yes. lot. There's a lot to it that there is, is not so revealed. Much. So so let's I, try I to will, I will say I'll I'll say it in this way. Uh it, Nope is one of those movies that anytime I thought I knew where it was going, it was not going in that direction <laughs> at all. It pivots. It pivots hard from your expectations. And going back to kind of what uh what you mentioned impacts you with stories. Yeah. Nope subverts every expectation throughout the entire runtime like it's constantly yeah. giving you surprises it's constantly uh kind of just keeping you on your feet on your toes yeah and and yet so satisfying so i think you know i i think that's the other aspect to that question that you know i i have no idea i haven't figured it out yet but you can balance the familiar with the unfamiliar great but then also what makes it satisfying at the end? What, what ties it all together and lands it? Uh, and I think, and I, for me at least, Nope did that really well. Absolutely. What, I'm curious, where does it rank on your Jordan Peele movies list of, of those three? Oh, uh, I mean, they're all super high and they're all real close together. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with that. But I think it's, I think it's Get Out, Nope, Then Us. Uh, because Us, Us... I think felt like it was three movies at once, you know, like there were just so many ideas bursting out of this man that like they could not all be contained in one movie. Um, and, uh, and I love, I love us. And I think that some of the performances in us are the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really incredible and design fantastic. Um, but yeah, there was just there was just so much going on that it didn't quite all cohere at the end. So of these phenomenal movies, that one's that one's at the bottom for me. But I think and I think uh conversely, Get Out is so focused and so tight and knows exactly what it is at every single second of its screen time. Um that I'm just I'm in awe. Yes. I'm in awe. Yeah, it's Get Out is so singular. Like it, yeah. it's got its idea, and then there are surprises within that idea. But it knows what it's doing. It knows what kind of story it's making. And, um, and I think I loved Us so much. But you're right. Like it's it's stuffed. It's stuffed of different ideas, different tones. Um, but I think it, it of the three. I think Us maybe sat with me for the longest out of mm, out of just walking out of the sure. theater. And I think a lot of that does fall on the shoulders of Lupita. Like she ju- just oh is God. incredible in the so movie, fantastic. terrifying. Her voice is just like unique, and and uh, the just the vibe of her character is just so unique. And I think that's what stuck with me more than anything. And I think Nope 
is a good blending of a lot of those first two movies. Like it's it is pretty singular, but there's a lot of different ideas and genres kind of crammed in there as well. And it's also not very clear in a lot of ways. Like it, there's a, no. there's some questions. There's a lot involved. of open and open interpretation invited. Um, uh, I will say just to tie it back to our story. So this is this is why I think maybe this this ties in uh, to our stories. But um, there is doing this without spoilers. Uh, there is a moment in Nope uh, that revolves around a song that is the epitome of an incredibly dumb idea taken very seriously. And you discover in that moment that the whole movie is in a lot of ways a very dumb idea, but taken very seriously. And it just tickles me. I mean, it just makes me so happy. (laughs) But you had the same recommendation that I was originally going to have. Yes, which I'm so excited to talk about. Yeah, so so I want to recommend a show called Poker Face, uh, which is a produced showrun by Ryan Johnson, the the director that I am a, truly a big fan of as well, um, starring Natasha so Leone. Stylish, so much style, like nothing but style. Uh, not that's not true. There's other things and there's style. Lot, yeah, there's a yes, lot of content. There, yeah. But I do appreciate the style <laughs> and the the good vibes of the show. Um, it is on Peacock, which I, maybe not everybody has, but please, if you do have it, watch it. I think I might be wrong on this. I might be talking out my butt, but I think Peacock does a thing where you can watch all their stuff for free with ads. Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't bought the subscription service, you can still watch stuff, but then you have to watch it with ads, which I think is like, we should absolutely like, I hope everything kind of goes in that direction. Cause man, there's so many services. I can't, I cannot buy them all y'all. I cannot do all of them. <laughs> same. It's hard to keep up with all of them. And so, you know, we always try to let people know those those workarounds. So thank you. You're right. I think now that I think about it, there are ads when I watch Poker Face as well. Um, but I, I think the the concept of of the show itself is so interesting. Um, it, it again by Ryan Johnson, who did the the Glass Onion, uh, Knives Out movies, um, which I'm a big fan of. I love a good kind of murder mystery, um, and, and with all that style that comes along with that as well. Yeah. And this kind of takes a lot of that same energy from those movies and puts it into episodic television form where it's each episode is kind of its own story but there is kind of a through line uh through all of them that does kind of pick up but i was really surprised at how different each episode was and how each episode kind of feels like like its own short film in a lot of ways oh absolutely and and it's so funny because and i think you know he's doing this stylistically too like in a lot of ways it's a throwback to like old pulp cinema to like Columbo to like uh, the Bixby uh, Hulk TV show. Uh, There's like a lot of fun shout outs. And, and the fact that it's Ryan Johnson doing it means that he's pulling like the wildest celebrity stars for, for guest spots. (laughs) There's so many people in each episode that you're like, Oh my God, that person pops up. And so you're right. Like he's, he's kind of pulling his, his, uh, his sway around the industry and just people want to work with, with Ryan Johnson, which is super cool. Um, and yeah, the, the, the Columbo comparison is great because Natasha Leone is functions as the Columbo of this, of poker face as the, of the series itself. And the setup is a really simple one and, and doesn't, I haven't finished it. There's maybe one episode. I haven't watched the finale yet. And so I will, I will not spoil anything, but the setup of the entire show is that Natasha Leone's character, Charlie, 
can detect lies. That's kind of all you need. That's that's, and then everything else stems from that. Uh, and I think can, that can detect lies and maybe has like an inability to let injustice go. Like yes, <laughs> like it's it's like a running joke established pretty early on that like whenever she sniffs out something wrong, like even when it would be very very much in her interest to just let it go she can't she she cannot against her better judgment do so and it's it's a treat every time i love charlie so much as a character and one of the things that i i kept thinking in the first few episodes uh, of just kind of getting into the story i was like this feels like a comic book like it really does yes and, and it's as far as i know it's not based on anything it's an original story um but it has the same kind of episodic vibe of like 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 you mentioned comparison to that like the old uh, hulk show where it's kind of like a monster villain of the week except for this it's like murder of the week that is being solved right. and and she's and she's on the run and she's on the run and so it's like there's there's this promise that it's going to be a totally new location every time that we're just going to pick up in media res with like a new place and a new mystery somewhere else on the road um yeah yeah it's fun it's such a unique story, and and I'm so glad when when we were kind of talking about it before before we started recording, or when you asked, uh, has any has anybody talked about Poker Face? And I was just like, that's exactly what I wrote down. Oh my god! And it, I've been looking forward to being able to talk about it ever since that 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 conversation as well. So um, definitely check out Poker Face. Uh, like we mentioned, you can watch it with ads, and and it doesn't affect the watching experience for me personally um, that much. But um, check it out. I think it's it's definitely worth watching. And then of course. Nope, as well. I I want to rewatch Nope. I think it's on. Yeah. I think it's maybe on HBO. Or no, it's yeah, on. It's. Something. I don't. I don't know where it's on. But no. um. But I, one thing that's funny is like we didn't even give a setup, or or anything to what the movie is, and I think that is for the best. I think Nope is one of those movies that if you've not been spoiled or if you've not been set up, consider yourself lucky and just put it on because I think it really rewards coming in with a fully blank slate and not having any kind of preconceived notion about what this story is or where it's going to go. Absolutely. I think that's more and more these days because I love going to the theater. I love I love the theater experience for movies. And more and more when I see a trailer, I'm like, I, I would have seen this movie anyway. I don't need to know this extra stuff, you know? And And with, again, the kind of genius of Jordan Peele, the trailer, you can watch the trailer for Nope as many times as you want. And it won't, it won't tell you anything, really. It'll kind of get you excited. It'll give you the tone of the movie, but it, there's so much more to it than that. And so I have such a respect and appreciation for a story like that that outdoes its trailer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we say our final goodbye, there is something new that I am trying to do for every every episode. And I did not tell you because I want your spontaneous, Ooh, your spontaneous take on it. But... Uh, it, we mentioned before there is a topic list full of all these weird topics like the Dove one that, mm-hmm. that you chose. Um, I would like for you, just off the top of your head, give me a topic. Ooh, give you a topic. Anything. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be because I love the idea of these very specific ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to say the topic is... And that was the moment I knew it was over. Oh, devastating. Oh, my God. <laughs> I already want to write about it now. I, want, I have a story in Let's my head. Let's go. Oh, All right. Thank G- you. Give us a couple hours. We'll be back here. <laughs> Part two. Exactly. 
fantastic. This is exactly what I want. Just like something off the top of your head. And then that way it kind of lets the the guests contribute to that topic list as well. And so um, if you happen to down the road, if you think of an idea, you're like, hey, this would go great on the on that topic list. Just just send it to me. I'll, I'll throw it on there. We'll do. Because you have earned that from from your story yes! writing. Yes. <laughs> Um, so Toby, thank you of, of you're so welcome. Thank you for joining me and, and, and being vulnerable and sharing your story because I know it's not always easy in sharing and creative writing, uh, uh, things that you have created with somebody else and with, with listeners as well. It's funny. Usually it, it really is not easy, but here it totally was. So thank you, Colby. That's the vibe that I want to put out. It's it's a chill campfire vibe, and that's that's good for me. That works, and and it allows me to to meet great people like you and and learn from your experience and your process, and and truly, more than anything, make a new friend. That's what I love about this. Is like I get to meet Aww. somebody cool and and learn from them, of course. But then, hopefully, we'll just hang out more and we'll talk more. We didn't mention this. You're you're in Minnesota. <laughs> you're not in Georgia, I where I am. That's true. That's um, true. But as we also know, in today's day and age. We can play RPGs together from anywhere. So I want to roll some dice with you. Soon. I think Let's it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Like I said, one of my goals for 2023 was to play more RPGs and, and talk about it more. And so I think just this conversation is a step in that direction. And the next step is we got to play a game together. <laughs> Can't wait. Let's do it. I, I should say we, we gave a, a shout out early on to another podcast adh20 with our with the hosts matt and ak uh, allison um and i'll just go ahead and tell you she's gonna be on soon <gasps> yeah all oh, rad oh yes. i can't wait that'll be yes. fun so so that is one of the one one of the stories that i'm currently working on trying to finish and so i'll check in on her progress at some point soon but um that's another thing is that like there's so many cool podcasts out here that i want to partner with and talk to people and Again, learn from them and and get to highlight really cool podcasts like ADHD20 as well. Hell yeah. And you know, if any of you all are listening to this, uh, the, the way that I came on this podcast was literally uh, telling Colby, yo, I'm a podcast slut. I will come on any podcast you want. So that remains true. Uh, pick me up for your podcast. I'm in. I will write a story for you in an afternoon. Uh, we'll talk about RPGs. We'll jam. Let's make podcast friends. It's gonna. You heard it. You heard it here first. Uh, the last thing we'll say: Where can people find you if they would want? If you want them to find you, your work, anything like that. Uh, oh, anything sure. you want to plug? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not to, on a ton of social media, uh, so don't look for me there. I'm probably not going to check. You know, I have a Facebook and and an Instagram and all that, but I don't never check it. So uh, you can find actually a lot of the things that I'm doing now over at Mixed Blood Theater uh, in Minneapolis, but. We also, uh, thanks to our Radical Hospitality Program, uh, provide most of what we're doing online, uh, streamed, Zoom, YouTube, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's all free. Everything that we do is, is free. If you're in Minnesota, if you're in the Twin Cities area, come on by. Check out our 12 by 12 series. Check out our Zealous Hellion series. Uh, there's some other fun things we're cooking up in store. So lots of fun theater, lots of uh, uh, enjoyable participatory moments to be had um, live and in person and virtually online. 
<laughs> that sounds so exciting. I'm gonna have to make a trip up to up to Minnesota just to see it live and to get the oh, let's full go, experience. That would be that would be just ideal. Absolutely. I've got a I've got a game table. We'll play right here. Oh, perfect. Oh my gosh, it's happening. <laughs> we're we're speaking it into existence. The power of podcasting. I would love to have you back on the podcast at some point. I I loved this story, and hopefully we'll hear another story down the road. So thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to, to everybody and, and be on the lookout for, for future episodes. We've got some, some fun stuff in the works um, that I'm really excited about. Some great stories, great conversations, great guests. So that's all I got for you guys. Stay toasty out there. S'more Stories is brought to you by the Indiesaurus Podcast Network, which is home to not just one great podcast, but tons of them. Maybe you're in the mood for, a, let's say, a Hamtaro watch-along podcast. How about a show that's doing a detailed deep dive into the famed Left Behind book series? Well, you're in luck with Ham Radio and I Survived the Rapture, just two of the many great shows on the Indiesaurus Podcast Network. And oh yeah, The Celly Dwellers is on there too. Follow us on Instagram at Pod or Colby McHugh. I'll reach out on there for topics periodically, so be sure to submit your best and weirdest. And if you want to follow along with the episodes, feel free to send any stories you've written to smorestoriespod at gmail.com. Whether you want notes or just someone to put eyes on a story, send it my way. Music and lyrics by Evan McHugh, whose great songs can be found anywhere and everywhere. Go buy them. Logo design by Brittany Wyland, whose work can be found at mess.and.magic on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay toasty.